Amen. Amen. Isn't it good to know that He will be with us to the very end? He is faithful, and He will be with us to the very end. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Teens, I want to encourage you to kind of tune in today. You know, as I prepared this message, I thought of you. This is really a message for all of us, but it's a message that reminds us what it means or how to be faithful in life. All of us want our lives to count for something. You know, this is a time of the year where we really think about uh, resolutions, where we begin to think about, okay, what is it that I want to accomplish over this next year? And uh, we think about physical things. You know, I, I'm going to eat less and exercise more. That's a common thing that we resolve to do in 2014. Matter of fact, uh, I will go to the gym tomorrow, and there will be more people there, and I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But we make resolutions, don't we? And, and uh, some of them are spiritual. We decide that we're going to read through the Scriptures in the year. Uh, we, some of them are physical. We make a plan on how to lose weight or how to get in shape physically. Um, some of us make plans for our family. I, uh, May 19th is my anniversary. Well, every year around that time in May, the last several years, we've gone to Florida to meet with my brother and his wife and my mom and stepfather. And, and in the past years, our children and grandchildren have gone with us, and we've all gathered together as a family in Florida. And this year, it'll just be the brothers and my brother and and uh, not all the grandkids and the and our sibling and their and our children, but just us. And it's fun. I mean, I'm already making plans, and so we have at the beginning of the year, 2014, we begin to think about what is it I want to accomplish. What are my plans? I I begin to think about uh, well, my ankle feels pretty good. Last year at this time, my ankle was really struggling, and and I was having a hard time running at all. I feel like I'm almost 80, 90 percent, and I think I could probably do another try this year. And matter of fact, when I'm in Florida, maybe I'll try to do one in the ocean. I just do the little ones. I don't do the big Ironman, just a little sprint where you swim a half mile and, and you ride a bike for 13 and, and you run for three miles. A small, they call them a sprint. It's really not that big of a deal. I'm not going to win anything. I'm not going to set any records. I'm not even going to place for my age group. I mean, I just, I'm happy just to finish. But we do that, don't we? We begin to make plans. What does 2014 look like? And we begin to ask ourselves questions. Questions like, uh, does my life really count for something? Why am I here? Why was I created? What is my purpose? I mean, it's a time of evaluation, really, isn't it? The beginning of a new year. What are my goals? Well, in John chapter 15, it's, uh, it's Jesus meeting with his disciples. It's known as the last discourse. Uh, it's this last conversation that Jesus would have with the disciples before his crucifixion, before the longest night of his life. And we have a chance to listen in on the conversation in, in the book of John Chapter 15, a conversation that Jesus gave to his disciples about bearing much fruit. And he gave us four 
things to focus on if we want to be productive for the kingdom of God. If we truly want to be fruit bearers. You see, we really do want our life to count for something. And we can, we can strive in our own efforts and our own abilities to accomplish a lot of things. We could be very successful in business. We could be very successful in music. We could be the greatest artist. But the reality is we can't take any of that with us. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so we must evaluate, how does my life count in relationship to the kingdom of God? You see, I think we like movies like It's a Wonderful Life because it appeals to our desire for our life to make a difference. And we can accumulate great wealth and we can make a difference in our world. But the reality is we can not take any of it with us. And only what's done for Christ will last. How will your life impact the life of others for eternity? How will your life, your decisions, your actions, your attitudes impact others for Christ? We have a chance to listen in on Jesus as he gives wisdom and direction to the disciples, to us, followers of Christ. It's like listening to a coach who's making his last charge for his team. And we have a chance to listen in today. Turn with me to John chapter 15, verse 1. There are four keys remaining four keys to producing fruit. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, in the Old Testament, the vine was very familiar with the people of Israel. Matter of fact, the people of Israel were represented by the vine. On the outside of the temple gate, there is a golden vine. And, and the vine was representative of Israel. Jesus is saying here, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I am the true vine, and my Father, He is the gardener of your soul. He's the caretaker of your soul. You are in good hands. God Himself, God the Father, is the caretaker of your soul. And He cares about you. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And he cares about the growth of your spiritual life, the growth of your soul. And you are in good hands. Then he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will, so that it will be even more fruitful. Teens and everyone else, say with me the word, even more. Oh, that was weak. Say with me the words, even more, even more. He prunes us so that we will be what? Even more fruitful. You see, it's God's desire that we be fruitful. But he provides for us a way to be fruitful. I am the vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. 
While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Sometimes we go through difficulties in life. And it's through those difficulties in life that we are stretched. Where we find ourselves totally dependent upon God. It's through those difficulties in life that we realize how faithful God is. You see, he is the vine, the true vine. His father is the gardener. And sometimes life is difficult. And yet, it's difficult so that we will be what? Even more fruitful. Then he says in verse 3, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He's saying to the followers of Christ, his disciples, You're already followers of me. You're already believers. You're already part of the redeemed. And then he says, and this is the key to being fruitful, remain in me as I remain in you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Now this speaks to us about our position in Christ. It's positional theology, if you will. You know, a deist thinks of God as the creator God. He sees God as this great creator who created the heavens and the earth, created everything, put everything that we know and everything that we don't understand in motion. And yet he stands back and watches to see what will happen. That's a deist. They, they see God as the creator, but they have a hard time understanding God as a personal God who would send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and die for me who would send his son to come to earth so that we might have a relationship with him. So the way we see God has a lot to do with the way we've been taught. And so there's a group of people who see God that way. And then there's a group of people who often see God from, well, they seem like a cosmic vending machine. As God who meets my need when I need him to meet my need. And, and when I have a need, I pray, out, go, Lord! I know you haven't heard from me in a long time. But if you would just answer this one prayer. And we treat God as if he's a, a vending machine. A cosmic vending machine. They, they kind of see God from, a, from God. You know, that perspective of everything comes from God. And then there's those. So you have this over God, a deist, who sees God who's impersonal and doesn't isn't involved in our life, then those that see God from this what-I-can-get-from-God perspective. And then we have over here kind of under God. Those that uh, see God for, well, he's something to be feared. And he is. We, I mean, beginning of wisdom is fear. Uh, we should fear God. We should respect God. But then life is lived out of... Um, obligation and it's legalism and we were saved by our works and not by grace and it's like we are under God and then the position that Christ speaks of here look at it in verse 3 with me actually it's um, verse 4 remain in me as I also Remain in you. Christ in us. We're in Christ. 
What position are we in? We are in Christ. What is true of Christ is now true of us. Because Christ has defeated death, hell, and the grave, that becomes true of us because we are what? We are in Christ. And because the victory has already been won, we can choose to stand on the winning team. And so Jesus gives wisdom, gives advice, four things. It begins by saying, remain. Remain in me as I am in you. Remain in me as I am in the vine. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Then he says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If we're going to make a difference for the kingdom of God, it's going to happen because we remain in the vine. It's going to happen because we stay connected with the Father. We listen to the voice of the Son. We read His Word and we allow it to impact our lives. Remain in me. Then Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He must have really wanted us to get this because this is the second time he says, I am the vine. This, by the way, is the seventh of the I am statements given in the book of John. In John chapter 5, John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He's the sustenance of life itself. I am the bread of life. Teenagers, how many times have you found yourself weary because you haven't eaten? You haven't, and you're just, your body's tired. You just need to eat something. And you eat something and you perk up. You drink that Mountain Dew and you have more energy than you need to have. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In verse 8, John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. He's the light. He gives us light to direct our path. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. Jesus is the door to salvation. He's the door to hope. He's the door to forgiveness. He's the door to peace. Christ himself through his death and resurrection has provided an open door for us that we might have a relationship with him. Have you walked through that door? Romans 3.23 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens that door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Have you asked Jesus into your heart and your life? Have you asked him into the door? Have you opened the door? Jesus says, I am the door. He's the door that provides restoration in our relationships with God the Father. He's the door that provides restoration in the relationships with mankind as we are forgiven and we forgive one another. Jesus says, I am the door. In John 11, 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. Ninety-nine were safe and accounted for, and yet he goes looking for the one. He knows. He knows when you've wandered from the truth. 
He knows when you've gone astray. He is your good shepherd. He's the tender of your soul. And he's looking for you and he knocks at your heart's door. In John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, because of his death and resurrection, promises to each of us who are followers of Christ, who remain in the vine, the promise of the resurrection. A promise that gives us strength and courage and hope. Stability for life. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. I am the vine. And you are the branches. Verse 5, he says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will repair much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I, I love the way that's phrased. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, you can do something. It's obvious we can do something. We can accomplish many things in this life. But in the reality, in the end, we can't take it with us. And it accounts for what? Nothing. You see... For eternity's sake, apart from Him, we can do nothing. But with Him, we can bear much fruit. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm afraid that far too often as Christians, we uh, fail to really train one another to go through the difficulties of life. And yet there's wisdom in these words that that Jesus gives to his disciples for us for life. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, you can bear, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. One of the privileges of being a pastor is to walk with your people through the mountains and valleys of life. Uh, this June, I will have been uh, here, I think, 23 or I think it's 23 years. And over the years, I've fallen in love with the people of Grace Point. Uh, you have my heart. Uh, this Christmas Eve, I celebrated with you the birth of Christ, but I really celebrated family, the family of God. The privilege that we have to pray for one another, to care for one another. The privileges that we have to watch each other's families grow up and to pray for each other's families. I have a personal gratitude to all of you. My children are in the Lord today. Because of a church that loved them and cared for them. It was a godly example to them. 
who understood the words to remain in the vine, and when you remain, you can bear great fruit. I've had the privilege of uh, walking with many of you through some of the most difficult moments of your lives, some of the most difficult days, months of your lives. And a lot of times we begin to ask the question, why? You know, why, Lord, has this happened? Why, why are we having to go through this trial, through this difficulty? Oh, there's some whys that make sense to us. You know, I know I'm in financial problem, have a financial debt because of the foolish decisions that I've made, and, and now I have to dig myself out of this, or I'm in a relational problems because of some of the foolish relationship choices I've made. Sometimes it's obvious the answer to the question why, but often in life there's no real answer to the question why. And I've been with you in that valley. And quite honestly, as a pastor, I feel very, um, I never know what to say. Sometimes just being there is the most significant thing. Offering the love and the comfort of Christ, pointing to the Savior. But we do, we question why. Why, why, Lord, why? And we know from the scripture in Matthew that it says it rains on the the evil and the just alike. And just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're exempt from the realities of life and death. But we ask the question, why? why? Why, Lord, why am I going through this valley? Why am I facing this difficult time? This dry season? And my advice is often, you know, if you will allow the Lord to speak to you and to prune you and to teach you through this, I believe he wants to prove some things through you. I often tell couples, I want to encourage you to seize this opportunity as an opportunity for intimacy with God and each other. Turn to each other and turn to the Lord, for He will be your strength and your comfort. And God, over and over again, proves Himself to be true. And many of you can testify to how God has been faithful, even in the most difficult valleys of your life. But we ask the question, why? But, I, but I've, I've learned something, Ash. When we move from the question, why, to the question, what, it changes everything. Lord, what is it that you want to do through me? What is it, Lord, that you want to prune in me? James says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds. And we think, what are you talking about, James? Because it develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so we can be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Sometimes it's in the most difficult trials of life that we find the grace and the love of God that we've never understood before. It stretches us in ways that... We didn't know were possible because our God is faithful. God calls us to a life of being fruitful for his kingdom. Well, how do we do that? 
We do it by remaining in the vine. Now, tomorrow morning, I'm going to go to the gym, and I'm going to work out. Actually, I'm going to go tomorrow night. Debbie and I, we have a standing appointment every Monday night. Uh, I go about 4.45, and I start working on my arms and doing a little bit of work on my legs and, and uh, my chest. And, and then I go out, and I get a bike at, 530, at for a 5.30 spin class, and then we spin for, for 45 minutes together. I work up a sweat. I'm just dripping wet. She's just barely sweaty. <laughs> she works really hard, but it was like, I don't know what the deal is with girls. And uh, but, I mean, I'm just so proud of her. She works so hard. And then we go and we, we do our ab workout together. And it's really, I mean, I love it. It's, it's one of my favorite times of the week. Well, tomorrow I'm going to go to the gym at Spies. And when I get there, Every bike's going to be taken. Why? Because it's resolution time and people are making commitments. And this year is the year, 2014, and, and every piece of equipment will be full and I won't be able to find space for me. And like many other regulars that will be there tomorrow who are complaining about this time of the year because so many people, I probably will be like, oh, come on, give me a break. I've got to get to my piece. But there will be a handful of those who show up tomorrow and the next week and the week after that. And they'll be there in February and then they'll be there in March and they'll be there in April and they'll be in, there in September and November and December. And by the end of the year, it will make a difference in their physical and their emotional well-being because they remained. They kept the course. They stayed with the plan. And Jesus, on the night he's to give his life for you and for me, says to his disciples, remain. Remain in me. I am the true vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think there are times in life where we just simply have to tell the devil, devil, you have no power and authority over my life. And I'm going to remain in the vine. I'm going to trust him for my future. I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to remain in the vine. It doesn't matter if anybody else knows. It doesn't matter if anybody else sees my service. I am going to serve. It doesn't matter whether I receive a thank you. I'm going to give. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to remain in the vine. And I'm going to stay true to you. I think sometimes we have to tell the devil, devil, you have no authority over my life. Teenagers, you have to take a stand for Christ. You have to make a decision with your intellect and will to serve Him and remain. When everyone else falls, you remain. Stay true to your faith. Stay true. Allow God Himself, the gardener of your soul, to help you become the person God has created you to be. Remain in the vine. My pledge, to my, my plea to you today is to remain. Remain. Help us, Lord, to remain. Help us, Lord, to be a people. Help us to be the kind of Christian who remain faithful to the call of God. Help us to be the kind of fathers who remain true to your word. Help us to be the kind of wives who say yes to your word. Help us to be the children that you're calling us to be and to remain 
in the vine. God calls us to remain. Sometimes he wants to do a work in us. He prepares us for what he has for us. He prepares us for what he wants to teach us. And sometimes he's preparing us for what he has prepared for us. Remain. Remain in the vine. Verse 6 of John chapter 15. It says, if you do not remain in the vine, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, sowing yourself, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Remain in the vine. What does it mean to bear fruit? The fruit of the Spirit is described for us in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How are you doing at loving one another? Do you find it difficult to love everybody? I mean, it's hard. I mean, somebody offends you, hurts you, breaks your heart, it's hard to love them. You don't even like them, let alone love them. And yet the scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. How are you doing at loving one another? Sometimes it's difficult for us to love someone because there's anger in our heart. They've broken our heart. They've hurt us. They promised they would and they didn't. They promised they stopped and they continued. They promised they'd be there and they weren't. We were betrayed, spoken evil about. And so we we have this anger in our heart, and if we're not careful, we will allow that anger to go from one season to the next. And the anger that we experience as a child, maybe over abuse, we carry that into our adolescence and from our adolescence into our young adults and through our young adults into our first marriage. And, And if we don't allow, if we allow the sun to go down on our anger, it infiltrates our entire heart. And you say, but I can't love him. I I can't love her. Jesus says, if you will remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Well, one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. And we're to love. And I'd say to you, you're absolutely right. You can't love them. You can't love her in your own strength. But with God's help, you can. You can write a check. Debt paid in full. See, when we're angry, we say, you owe me. You owe me something. You hurt me. You wounded me deeply. And you owe me an apology. And we are not willing to forgive until that debt is paid. And so it impacts us and it affects every relationship that we have. And until we're willing to write that check, debt paid in full, as Christ has written the check for us, we harbor that anger. And God says to us today, remain in me. And when you remain, you will bear much fruit. And the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience. How are you doing with patience? Kindness. Are you a kind? Gentleness and self-control. How are you doing with self-control? The key is to remain in the vine. The second key that we find in 
Jesus' uh, instruction to his disciples, to us, is to obey my commands, verses 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Keep his commands. Remain in him and keep his commands. Third, key to fruitful living is to demonstrate God's love for one another. Verse 12 says, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for one of his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. God commands us to obey his commands. And this is a key, to remain in him, to love each other, to obey his commands, and finally, to know the Lord's teachings. Verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. God has revealed himself to us through his word, through his Son, Jesus Christ. He has revealed himself to us. And today he instructs us to remain in him. He instructs us to obey his commands to love each other as he has loved us and to know him. To know him. In 2014, what would it be like if as a church, every one of us made a commitment to remain, to love, to obey, to know him. May it be so. Keith is going to come and lead us in a song. Earlier I said when we move from the question why to the question what, it changes everything. I've seen this testimony year in and year out over the years of being in pastoral care and loving and caring for you. Sometimes in life, life is difficult and we don't understand it. And we have all these why questions. Sometimes we won't have an answer. But when we begin to ask what, what is it you want to teach me, Lord? How is it that you want to use me? What is it you're wanting to prove through me? What is it, Lord? that you're preparing for me. It changes everything. When we come to that place of total surrender and we say, uh, devil, get lost. I made this, this decision of my intellect and my will to obey and to remain in the vine to know Him and to love the world as you have loved Him. Let's stand and sing together this song.
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. If the Lord has spoken to you today and you just want to make a commitment in 2014 to remain, this story, this story was for followers of Christ. He was speaking to his disciples. It was that final discourse, those final words of instruction. He speaks to us today through these words. It may be in 2014 you just want to reaffirm that commitment to remain in the vine. It could be that you've never made the commitment to the vine and you heard about the door that was open today and that door is wide open. He's the great shepherd. He would like to tend your soul. You can know him as Savior and Lord today. We're going to open the altars. If the Lord moves you and you want to come, we encourage you to come and we'll pray.